And welcome back to the Broadband Bunch, brought to you by ETI Software Solutions from the Independent Show in Chicago. Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and its impact on everyone. Join us as we learn about the state of the industry, along with current innovations and trends as we connect with a diverse range of thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers shaping your future through broadband. And we are pleased to be joined by Justin Forte, VP of Sales and Marketing with Inditel. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, it has been a great show. And before we get started with Inditel and all you got going on there, your impressions of the independent show so far. Okay, it's our first time to attend the event, and I was very impressed with it. It's a lot of unique companies coming together that I don't know that there's another event that we attend where we would be able to visit with this many unique telephone companies and independent cable providers. They put on a great show. The speakers were on point and all the extracurricular activities are fun as well. You talk about the extracurricular activities and we have to talk a little bit about the trip to Wrigley. And I know that uh, you and your better half really enjoyed that. I was in awe. I, I felt like I had gone to, a, I don't know, an old cathedral, something holy that, uh, yeah, it really resonated because as a kid, if you love baseball, regardless of the team, you always could envision yourself running around on that field having fun. So getting to walk amongst in the areas where the greats walked and being in the dugouts and the hitting cages and being up on the Jumbotron, it was fun. It was a very special event. Yeah, hats off to the, the folks at uh, NCTC, ACA Connects for a phenomenal program and then of course you had the, the dinner at the Field Museum which was fantastic but when we talk about Inditel for those who might not know what you guys do give us the 30,000 foot overview. Inditel is I probably should go back and, and talk about how we started so it makes sense as, as to where we are today so Inditel started about 15 years ago as a marketing consortium and it stands for Independent Alliance of Telephone Companies, and it was all volunteer, no employees. And they would come together and they would discuss common issues, they would share practices, best practices. And they, about seven, eight years ago, they decided to become a for-profit entity. So the 20 owners came together and they put a router in Chicago and they Inditel's business model was to provide transit and pairing services to the members at a discounted rate. And the way they would achieve that is, you know, Inditel would buy so many gigs of peering from, let's say, level three, or transit from level three, rather, and then they would fillet that out for the members in small increments, maybe 500 megs a gig. Well, you know, it didn't take long before that business model was dead with all the internet consumption. I, you know, members now buy it in 100 gig blocks in many cases. We still have some that we help with that. Um, when it started a little over three and a half years ago, that model was still prevalent. And then we're looking to pivot, though, and, and get away from being reliant on member revenues and, and often attract non-member revenue. And we went with a wholesale model where we would sell um, last mile services to large carriers on national opportunities. And with that, we, we started with a large carrier, NDA, sorry, got to think of how I phrase this. <laughs> 
not everything I can disclose, but long and short of it, there was a large federal entity that purchased a lot of services through a specific carrier. Many of their locations were very rural in nature. So Indatel was able to get involved with that, and that became our, our anchor client that was non-member. So again, three and a half years ago, Indatel was uh, aggregating services for members. We pivoted and, and, and provided aggregation services to non-members, but of a different flavor. So we're a large aggregator of rural assets and rural fiber. And what we did then, everything was ICB, which if you know anything about quoting locations all over the country, hundreds, thousands for opportunities, that, that can be mind-numbing and it's not a great experience for our clients, not a great experience for the members. So um, a couple years ago, we, we got out of the weeds, looked high level and decided it was time to find a better way to do this and make it more predictable. So we came out with a flat rate nationwide pricing structure that took off. How has that been received? Oh, exceptionally well. I mean, we are at the point now where we're growing and leaps and bounds. We need to hire more support people to keep up with it. There's still things we aren't able to get to that, that are there that, I'm, that, that, are, that are ready to be cultivated. All these wonderful opportunities, or I should say harvested, are out there. And a lot of the the focus initially was on the large carriers, but now we're finding a lot of the managed service providers are figuring out who we are with very minimal marketing. It's all been word of mouth for the most part, and the managed service providers that can't afford to connect uh, 800 different entities love the model, and they, they come to us, and they connect to us in maybe a Chicago or Minneapolis or Dallas, and, you know, and they're able to help serve their clients around the country with one connection and one piece of paper through Indotel. Out of curiosity, of the members in the organization, how many are in growth mode? Given the, the need to uh, seemingly put in fiber everywhere you look as quickly as you can, what's the situation in that front? I really see all our members growing. They're all investing. They're all uh, actively building and constructing fiber. One thing that our customers like about Indotel is if you'll pay for it, we'll build it. We are not, you know, a lot of times they'll go to a provider and they get frustrated because the provider's like, eh, it's not in our business model, we're not going to bother building to it. Our members, for the most part, are always open to building and, and finding a way to serve areas. Oftentimes they're overbuilders of some of the blue bloods or the goliaths out there that may have copper networks that they aren't reinvesting in or subpar networks they go in and they'll strategically build and provide those communities because again that's what they do they provide rural america access to uh, the internet and we're able to leverage that's those same fiber assets for carrier ethernet services from your standpoint in sales and in marketing i know that it's it's constantly uh, changing, evolving, and keeping up with it is a challenge. From your perspective, where do you see the next 12 months, next couple of years in the industry going? Wow. Obviously, the consolidation, you're seeing a lot of that. And some of the, the, the money that's being thrown around by venture capitalists and, and these equity firms is staggering. And it's hard to say no to. 
I feel like, and again, this is just my opinion, I feel like we're in the bubble now. And I think some of that will come back down to earth. I do feel like from an Intel perspective, you'll see us as we grow and we put more resources in place, being able to uh, go outside of the wholesale space and sell direct to government and large enterprises. There, there's, with the network we're putting together, there's no reason that we, we, we can do that in the near future. As it stands now, how many route miles would you say ballpark uh, in the network? Definitely over 100,000 route miles. Uh, you know, a lot of our, our, our fiber, if you include a lot of the, the, the last mile loops and stuff, I think the last survey we did it was well over 400,000 miles of fiber. But yeah, route miles is, I, I would guesstimate around 150,000 miles easily. Excellent. When you look at the, the 5G topic, which is very nebulous in many ways and, and yet to figure out where the industry is going to go, what role will Inditel be able to play in the yeah. future of 5G? 5G is fascinating. For the most part, our statewide member owners do a great job with cell site backhaul and they, they tend to, to drive that. And we, we kind of stay in our lane, but as word has gotten out, more and more carriers are coming to us and saying, why can't we do all our cell site backhaul through you, use this? And so that may be something where we're, we, we get dragged into eventually, but just meeting with the carriers and looking at their 5G strategy, most of it's NFL cities. So a lot of those, those cities aren't, you know, there may be a handful of members that have assets in those cities, but for the most part, we're in the rural areas. And I feel like a lot of the IoT plays that we're seeing in agriculture and, and different areas are more um, relying on 4G or utilizing fiber to do a licensed 4G play for IoT in the farming communities. We'll, we'll see though, I mean, it's still early on, but, but yeah. It's, it's gonna be a fun ride. It's gonna be a great ride, I'm excited. Final thoughts, and by the way, we're visiting with Justin Forte, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing with Inditel, based in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, final thoughts about the Independent Show, and, and what you have been able to accomplish here thus far. Oh, it's been wonderful. Now, a lot of the, the interactions that we, we have with are, are strictly with our members. It was nice to meet some of their owners that are actually at the show, get eyeball to eyeball with them, share our story. Oftentimes, they don't understand what we do because we're one le level removed and then visiting with other folks that are independent operators and aren't part of our family that could really help us in areas we need help in. And you know, the worst thing for a, a rural aggregator to do is no bid rural sites. People come to us because they need help and we're usually their, their last resort in, 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 when they're struggling. So it's important and this show's been phenomenal for making those relationships. Well, Justin, we appreciate what Inditel is doing. We appreciate your time and welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Broadband Bunch continues in just a moment.
Broadband Bunch continues from the Independent Show in Chicago. Craig Corbin, the ETI team, of course, Broadband Bunch, sponsored by ETI Software Solutions. Pleased to be joined by Brian Perry uh, with Spanish for Community Network. Welcome. Well, thanks, Craig. It's good to be here. Absolutely. It is, it is always good to take in the excitement of the Independent Show. Um, you look at how things got started this morning, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, and it hadn't slowed down all day long. It was a pretty high energy meeting this morning, that's right. Tell us a little bit for uh, folks that don't know about uh, Spanish Fork Community Network, what you guys do and how long you've been doing it. All right. Well, Spanish Fork Community Network, we're a municipally owned ISP for the city of Spanish Fork, Utah. We started in about 2000. Um, because we had a, a lack of good broadband options in our city. And so as we, as we explored different possibilities and different ways of solving that problem, the Spanish Fork Community Network was rolled out. We started a hybrid fiber coax DOCSIS plant and it's been growing ever since. And today we're midway, maybe 60% of the way through a rollout of fiber to the home overbuilding that same DOCSIS plant. That is a very exciting and a very daunting task. Uh, I know that that's something that you didn't take lightly when you made that decision. Talk about how long it took you to, to make that decision to go that route. So the decision was really made um, about the time we started the plant to begin with, but the economics weren't really there to roll out fiber to the home in the year 2000. Today, that's a whole different story. As the, as the docks downstream start to get way overloaded with the demand for streaming video and everything else that's online now that didn't used to be five years ago, um, it really pushed the need for additional bandwidth. And we knew the day was coming that we were gonna roll out fiber, but uh, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did as a municipality was we want to build that and provide it without adding additional financial burdens to our existing customers or or our city right we're we're not tax funded we're completely revenue funded so our success depends on our own customers and so to roll this out we wanted to make sure that we were doing this without any debt we roll it out based on our revenue so that kind of limits the speed that we roll it out but it also it also forces us to get really creative in how we're doing certain parts of it rather than just throwing money at the project and hoping it gets done the way we want it in the end. We get to take a very active role in designing the equipment that we want to use and how we want to get that out and the, the uh, actually the method of doing that. We do all of the construction, all of the engineering is all done in-house with our own crews. We don't hire that out, we don't subcontract that out. Um, as I said, there's no additional debt. We don't go into any any borrowing mode to finance this. It's it's we roll it as we as we can pay for it. That's fantastic. And the end user, your subscribers are the ones benefiting from that. I'm sure that the feedback that you've gotten from those that are already uh, you know, taken care of with the new fiber have to be happy. Oh, they're ecstatic. And right along the same lines as the good feedback is we get we get the bad feedback from their neighbors across the street that happen to be in a different node that we don't have them scheduled for another six or eight months. And and so it, it's tough, but uh, we know the demand is out there and we know that uh, this service is something that people are really chomping at the bit to have available and, and ready to go. So we just can't get it out there fast enough, but it's a great, it's a great, 
project. Now, Spanish Fork, of course, south of Salt Lake City, I would assume uh, an area that is growing uh, as far as your subscriber base. Your thoughts about where that will be, say, five, ten years from now? It is. You're right, Craig. It is only growing. It's. It continues to get bigger and better. We've. We've got a business sector that is really booming right now. Lots of influx of new businesses, and those businesses, just like all of our residential customers, need that fiber connection. And so that's a another good addition to our network. But it does continue to grow, and we only see it continuing down that path for the next few years, anyway. You know, we are pleased to be visiting with Brian Perry, the Assistant Director of Information Systems with Spanish Fork Community Network. And the beauty here is that you've been a wonderful part of the ETI family for quite some time, and we appreciate that. Well, we do. We enjoy it. The, uh, the cable bridge software that we use for provisioning the video services in the set-top boxes is you know, we just couldn't do it without that. It would just, it would be impossible. So we're we're glad to have you guys as a partner and a vendor, and we appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, when you come to an event like this, with so many exhibitors and so many things to look at, what is your goal with what you hope to take away from a visit to the Independent Show? So, that's really kind of an interesting question because um, sometimes I do have specific targets or technology that I'm looking at. But always, with every one of these, I walk away with additional ideas, additional thoughts, additional possibilities, things that I think, hey, we should look at that, or we should try this, or we should, we should look into this technology, or this process, or whatever it might be. So it's never, an event like this is never wasted time or effort. There's always something I come away with, and usually more than I can ever tackle before the next event, quite honestly. It's, uh, they are always invaluable. Brian, we appreciate your time. Brian Perry with Spanish Forks Community Network, now part of the Broadband Bunch. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Greg. Broadband Bunch is back from the Independent Show in Chicago, and a special guest, Catherine Gessner of Thank MCTV. Thank you for having me. Hey, what a, what a great first day of the show. Yeah. You have been busy already today yes. taking part in a panel discussion that sort of got uh, this underway. Tell us a little bit about what you were involved in this morning. Well, the panel was named... Um, Cool leaders, hot topics. So we were just talking about the topics of the day that are really pressing in the industry. Um, talking a lot about rural broadband expansion and finding new areas to build and get our broadband service to. Um, also talking about 5G and fixed wireless and sort of where we see those technologies. Um, it's a crazy time in the industry. It's, it's always changing. That's, so. a, that's an understatement with I know, regard I know. To, to 5G. No one has the crystal ball, but if you were going to hazard a guess, how quickly will you see 5G become a part of the day-to-day -day operations of what you're doing? For us, I think it will be a lot longer than in larger, more urban areas. We are small town uh, edging out into pretty rural areas um, 
Ohio also has a lot of hills and a lot of trees, so 5G gets really hard trying to get that line of sight um, and make it work. So I don't think for us it'll really ever be part of our business plan, but we're deploying fiber, building fiber to the home as quick as we can um, because we know that provides a great experience for customers and you can do pretty much anything you want over fiber. Now for those that are not familiar with MCTV, tell us about the company, how long it's been around, and who you serve. All right, um, MCTV was founded in 1965 by my grandparents. Uh, my dad ran it starting in the 80s, and he just retired in April, um, and I, I took over. So third generation operator owner, um, really cool. The industry's got tons of family businesses, so it's a really neat time. Um, we provide internet service, cable TV service, phone service, and home security service, um, as well as business services to about 50,000 customers in Northeast Ohio. We serve um, parts of, I think, 13 counties now, um, sort of branching out from our original location in Massillon, Ohio, um, just branching out from there, trying to find pockets that don't have service. Um, that's really been our focus the past year and a half. What are the biggest challenges that you find in, in the industry as it evolves so rapidly? I think the biggest challenge is keeping pace with it all. Um, every day it seems like there's a new technology, a new vendor, a new something coming at you. So it's just being able to cut through all of it and figure out what makes sense for your business. Um, because what makes sense for us doesn't make sense for somebody else. You know, when you look at the industry and how rapidly it is moving today, the, the customer obviously is in sort of the catbird seat, mm -hmm. you know, with regard to being able to pick and choose the best of so many different worlds. I know that for a company that provides four different types of services, you're going to see uh, the, the number of subscribers ebb and flow based on the, the desires uh, of the customer. One of the things that I think many providers are dealing with um, are those that are looking to, to cut the cord, if you will, from a video standpoint. But as long as they've got that broadband, that gives them the window to the world. Yeah, I mean, broadband is, is so important. Um, it's actually, when, when you look at our logo, it says internet, TV, and phone. And that's why internet is first now, because that is, that is what people need to do everything. You know, TV is, is not a necessity anymore in the way that you think of cable TV. There are so many options out there for video, but to be able to, to watch those videos and to consume what you need to on the internet, you've got to have a great broadband, broadband connection. And that's, I think, what we're all about. Um, a lot of the companies here are doing some really great things with broadband, just trying to get it deeper and deeper into areas that aren't served. And you know, to that point, many will view broadband as an essential part of the lifeblood mm -hmm. of an area from a competitive standpoint, economically, uh, with the ability to retain talent as you know, people graduate from high school, college, being able to stay in the area. Uh, from your standpoint, do you see MCTV being a big part of the, the Massillon picture of health and economy and growth for the future? 
That's a loaded question. Um, but no, I mean, we are we are very deeply rooted in the community. Um, my grandma, on the grandma, on my grandma's side of the family, um, there have been family businesses in Maslin since the 1800s. Um, so, as a family and as a company, we're really rooted in the communities, and we want to see them thrive because if they don't thrive, we don't thrive, and vice versa. Um, so we're really involved with economic development, um, a lot of community organizations, we, we serve on boards, we, we help them out with sponsorships and donations, um, and without that, you, you don't have a community. So we, we really look at that and we really pride ourselves on community involvement. Playing a vital role. Yes. We're visiting with Katherine Gessner, president of MCTV. This is the Broadband Bunch podcast from the independent show 19 ignite you know it really was a, a great start to the show this morning some some nice entertainment um, give us your thoughts about what you look to take away from a show like this yeah this this is one of the best trade shows um, in the industry and I you can walk away with it from so many different things we've got great vendors here um, lots of new technologies that we're able to look at so we're always looking to see again what makes sense for us um, there's marketing panels there's customer experience panels there's there's everything um, and it's just a great place to network and meet new people and that's where most of our ideas stem from is just talking to people when you're walking the show floor or at dinner or you know, passing somebody in the hallway. Um, that's one of the great things about the industry is we we all freely share ideas with one another and are able to take those ideas that another provider has and we can scale them up or down to our own. Um, so I think that's what this show is all about. It's just getting together with everybody and making sure as an industry we can keep moving forward um, and staying at the top of our game. We appreciate what MCTV does. We appreciate you and your time. We have been visited with uh, Kimberly uh, Messner, uh, Kathleen Messner, president of MCTV, uh, a member now of the Broadband Bunch. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you. You bet. And thanks for being at the show. Indeed. And the Broadband Bunch continues from the Independent Show in Chicago. Craig Corbin here with ETI Software, sponsor of the Broadband Bunch. Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and its impact on everyone. And we are so pleased to be joined by Mark Lieberman, the CEO of Via Media. Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Craig. It is an exciting time here. Before we get into uh, Via Media and the exciting news that uh, you guys have just announced within the last 24 hours, your impressions of the Independent Show. Well, my impressions are that it's growing by leaps and bounds. I've been coming here now for about five or six years each year, and it seems like it's doubled in size. There's more exhibitors than I've ever seen. The speakers are great. The engagement's great. And yet, uh, what Rich and the team at NCTC has done is really maintain that family focus 
uh, with a lot of families actually coming down with members. So it's a it's a great event and one I look forward to each year. You know, it's it's something that I think most everyone on our team has found that there was a high level of energy from uh, the, the, the start of the event and the quality of attendees has been exceptional, I think, this year. Would you agree? 100%. And it could be also because of the demise of the National Cable Show. And this really is the number one show now of the year if you're in the cable TV business. A must-attend event. Yep, no without, doubt. Without question. Now, we talk about Via Media, and we, we sort of uh, teased it a moment ago. I understand there was a very big announcement within the last 24 hours. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think so. V Via Media is the, the largest independent cable TV advertising company. We're the only company in the industry, as large as we are, that focuses just on advertising uh, throughout the industry. However, on the TV side, it's been a challenge over the last few years. Subscribers are dropping, ad dollars are dropping, most of the money is going, a lot of money is going over to digital. Um, and as an example, while spot cable advertising is $6 billion of the $70 billion that is spent on television, it's been flat over the last number of years. Uh, on the digital side, though, um, digital video, as an example, is $17 billion this year, growing 25% year over year. That's staggering. So our challenge in running ad sales for 60 different operators, almost all of whom are members here at the NCTC, our challenge is how do we grow those TV dollars in a meaningful way? Um, do we do that by trying to cast aspersions at digital and say that television is brand safe and it's, you know where your ads are going and you know who's going to be watching? Um, or do we figure out a way to partner with the surging side on the digital? So we announced yesterday a product called QTT. And what QTT does is it builds a bridge between the surging demand for digital video and actually gives it the ability to insert ads on linear television in real time. And it builds that bridge in a very clever way. We, no upgrading of set-top boxes are needed. No apps are needed. Uh, you're leveraging off of leg legacy infrastructure, whether that's QAM-based or IP-based. And all we're doing is inserting a QTT edge server in a head end, and that builds the bridge between linear TV and the digital ecosystem that's growing by tens of billions of dollars each year. I would assume that the immediate response from advertisers will be phenomenal. Well, it's, it's a win-win, because what happens is, is that the digital side has never really been able to tap into linear TV before. They have focused on connected TV, smart TV, maybe OTT. They've never focused on linear before. And they've built this great ecosystem and workflow between what are called supply side partners, uh, SSPs and DSPs, demand side partners. Um, and they have this workflow and the real-time bidding and the programmatic exchanges that take place. Uh, but linear TV has been primarily excluded from the opportunity to participate in that revenue stream. But now the advertisers and their agencies, and the agencies have the software from these DSPs on their desks and the trading desks, they're able to now actually plan for television, insert in real time without having any predefined schedules, and it's all data driven. Just knowing that the ability to insert that easily will change advertising campaigns top to bottom. We, we think so, we think so. And the deployment for us and the announcement we made yesterday is that uh, we came up with this technology last, late last year. We've been in stealth mode on it for the last six months. 
uh, finishing the development, industrial, making it industrial grade. Uh, we're now in with a couple of MVPD partners, uh, a couple of whom are actually members here. One is WOW, uh, is one of our partners, and we're in with them. We're going to be doing market trials with them um, and some other MVPDs uh, later this summer. We've partnered with, on the digital side, some major players like Rubicon, Rubicon Project, which is a major SSP, who has partnered themselves with DSPs. And so we're now going to be doing market trials this summer and then starting the deployment in our entire footprint, 150 head ends, uh, starting in Q4 and then rolling that out for the rest of our footprint into 2020. But imagine that the response is going to be rather quick that uh, you get from the folks that you're doing the trials with and uh, that will make a huge difference, I know, in how the rollout continues for the rest of the year. Yeah, and part of the purpose of the market trials is to decide what inventory gets allocated um, to QTT. QTT stands for, by the way, Q to tag. And what Q to tag means is that every single cable network programming has a Q-tone embedded in the signal that tells an ad, this is normal SCUDI 35 standard, that tells when an ad should be spooled up and triggered. And it works the same way in the digital world. It's called the VAST tag, which is an IAB standard. In the history of our industry, Q-tones never triggered a VAST tag. And that's what we've done, is we've built that bridge. So you don't have to change the workflow on the cable side. The ads still go through their normal QA process. They're still brand safe. You're not going to end up with some rogue ad that's going to end up on cable TV. So you have the best of both worlds, is that you can tap into the programmatic data-driven solution on the digital side and marry that to the brand safe side on cable. And the purpose of the market trials is to determine how much inventory an MVPD wants to allocate to QTT. Right to try and start to determine what the CPMs, what the rates should be, um, so that that can all be embedded as we actually roll this out uh, in Q4. I would assume, just from a layman's standpoint, that that would give the ultimate flexibility for agencies, for advertisers, to make last-minute changes to campaigns when there was a need to do so. Correct, correct. And that's been some of the challenges around the programmatic TV solutions to date is that you have to have predefined schedules, and then what happens if somebody actually takes some of the inventory away at the last minute? For the normal programmatic solutions on television, that's been the main challenge. For us, though, since you don't have to have a predefined schedule, right, that's not an issue. It's actually, we embrace the, the no predefined schedule approach. So we're excited about it, and what's also nice, even though we have 60 MVPD partners, is that we're not just focused on rolling this out within our footprint, we're actually talking to some very large um, MVPDs that aren't our current partners to roll it out and license the technology to them. So it's not something that we have to run the advertising. Anytime that anyone brings new innovation to play, we're immediately drawn to the reaction from the marketplace. I'm curious also about the reaction internally in your organization, as this was being developed, I would imagine there was a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement, but some trepidation as well. Um, our business model over the last 18 years in running the ad sales on behalf of our MVPD partners is that we actually put feet on the ground in local markets. And so we have a great local sales force, 150 people around the country that run local advertising on behalf of these MVPDs. So some of the reaction was, 
wait a minute, what does this mean for me? Does this mean I'm no longer going to be needed because um, it's all going to happen programmatically through QTT? And the answer actually is no, because the way we have devised it and designed it is that you can either access QTT inventory programmatically or you can access it directly through local sales. And through local sales, you still need those local salespeople. What that does is it puts price pressure, and with price pressure, you get higher CPMs, which benefits our MVPDs. Out of curiosity, with regard to the world of advertising as a whole, it responds to changes in the industry that we deal with on the, the technology side of things. An ebb and flow with changes in consumer use, uh, cutting the cord, going to more OTT, approaches. What is your impression of what the market will do in the next year to five years? Well, the next year is going to be driven by, in, in our world, TV advertising, cable specifically. Every two years is a phenomenon. It's called political advertising. And 2020 is going to be a total eclipse of the sun. <laughs> There's going to be more ads, more dollars spent on television than in history. Uh, cable will go from 600 million to a billion uh, in 2020. So growing extraordinarily. And so it's those political candidates, whether it's presidential, gubernatorial, senatorial, congressional, or local, or sometimes we call it local, local, all want to make sure that they get their message out on television because television is the best place to build a brand, right? Digital, good for targeting. Now with things like QTT and others, you can actually do targeting on TV, so you have both brand building as well as targeting. Um, and I, so I think that the next year, our industry is going to be very focused on political, making sure we can deliver those ads, and make sure that the candidates and issue campaigns have the opportunity to talk to their constituents. But I think then, for coming to 2021, is where you're going to see a lot more that is actually deployed. And OTT, over-the-top advertising, uh, digital advertising is growing, as I just mentioned before, by leaps and bounds. And so at the end of the day, and what we like to say, is we're not necessarily selling television. We're not necessarily selling digital. We're selling audiences on any piece of glass. And so an advertiser, whatever kind of advertiser, political, auto, healthcare, they want to be able to reach their audience wherever their audiences may be. And it doesn't matter the, the mode, there are going to be eyes that, that need to see those messages. Correct. Indeed. Whether that eye is an iPhone, an iPad, a desktop, laptop, big screen TV. Again, big screen TV is still the best for an engagement um, purpose. Uh, but even that big screen TV, how are they getting their content? Are they getting their content over the top? Is Netflix going to go to advertising? Hulu already has a hybrid model. Uh, and so television is going through a renaissance. Is that a viewer, a consumer, a fan can watch their favorite show. Uh, there's now an explosion of shows on many different media. And advertising is always going to be an important component to subsidize the costs of all that expensive programming that's coming out. And we want to make sure that we're always there for that. We are visiting with Mark Lieberman, the CEO of Via Media. This is the Broadband Bunch from The Independent Show. And uh, Mark, when you look at the, the opportunity to impact so many consumers, the role of Via Media in that, that entire process is, has grown over the years. Where do you see the company in five to 10 years? If I were to look at the company in five to 10 years, what I would say is that we are uh, very focused, as I said before, on delivering audiences for our advertisers. 
still deep partnerships with the MVPDs. I think the MVPDs play a critical role uh, in their local communities, whether that's for television, whether that's um, actually delivering broadband, which is what ETI software does, uh, focuses on. Um, and so those MVPDs are really important. So we're always going to partner with the MVPDs. Uh, we're always going to look at the best way to deliver an ad to an audience. And sometimes it's going to be through what might be called traditional television. Sometimes it might be digital. And sometimes it's going to be a hybrid where we're able to figure out how to tap into digital and bring it back into television like QTT. Um, and we're always looking for developing new technologies and looking to maybe acquire a couple companies here and there. Very exciting. For those that want to find out more about Via Media, how can they do that? Well, you can go to our website, www.viamediatv.com. Excellent. Mark, thank you so much for visiting with us. Thanks for having me. Broadband Bunch continues now from the independent show, Craig Corbin, the Broadband Bunch sponsored by ETI Software Solutions and very pleased to be joined by Matt Polka, President and CEO of ACA Connects. What a great show it has been already. Well, glad you enjoyed it, Craig. Nice to see you. Pleasure to be here with you and we're thrilled to invite uh, 1,250 or so of our friends to join us once again for our 14th annual show. It's a great event. It was amazing from, from day one. The, the high energy level was amazing. Everyone that I've talked to throughout the event has been extremely pleased with everything and obviously very well planned. Uh, kudos, uh, job well done. Well, I'm glad everybody's high energy. I'm kind of low energy right now and getting lower by the minute, but everybody does seem to be having a good time and, and that I think is really testament to our staff, um, our staffs at, at both NCTC and ACA Connects. It's, I like to say it's a labor of love, and it is because we, we do it for our members and attendees, but it is an incredible amount of labor, but our folks really, really are committed to it. Obviously, the keynote speaker this morning, Ari Fleischer, uh, a tremendous presentation, one that everyone enjoyed. Uh, it was a, a great addition to the, the wonderful panel of speakers that you've had all week. Well, we, we've been actually trying to do that over the last couple of years, not just to focus so much on um, industry or, or, or direct policy, technical, operational issues, but to bring in other speakers perhaps from outside of our industry to provide some more perspective. Um, what members need to be thinking about. Yesterday's uh, speaker, Jason Dorsey, was a great example of that as he talked about working with hiring people that are millennials, you know, Gen Z, Gen Y, you know, and, and understanding the differences which our member companies have to understand that, and even even our vendor companies when they go out and hire. Same thing's true today with, with Ari Fleischer. I mean, from our perspective at ACA Connects, we're a political organization. We have to work with uh, groups, right, left, Democrat, uh, Republican, of all types. Um, and and his, his comments today, I think, were appropriate to demonstrate that even if, if you do have a particular point of view, as he does, and he makes no bones about that, he's someone who very clearly will 
hold accountable both the right and the left and call them out equally, as we should. Not just Ari Fleischer, but Craig Corbin or, or Matt Polka to say there is a right way and a wrong way to do this in our politics and in our business and in our relationships. And we should demand better of ourselves, our media, our politicians, um, and, and again, ourselves in terms of how we engage in debate and discussion. And, and I think he did that, and I was very, very pleased with uh, everything he had to say. You were extremely involved, obviously, in dealing with uh, the, the world of politics in D.C. and elsewhere. Um, much is on your plate. Uh, many big battles to be to be fought. One of the ones at the forefront, I would assume, would be retrans, oh, sure. and that's something that uh, seemingly will never go away. But I was really interested to see the the piece of legislation introduced just last week. Uh, I think co-sponsored by Representative uh, Steve Scalise. Yep. Absolutely. It, it to me, it's a, a seminal piece of legislation introduced by two senior members of Congress, Steve Scalise, a very conservative Republican from Louisiana and Anna Eshoo, a very liberal Democratic member, literally from a district that is Silicon Valley, coming together to say it's time for old and outdated video laws to be removed, eliminated, and updated. And that's why they introduced their Modern Television Act of 2019, which is an important, incredible example of bipartisanship, where you have, again, two people that are diametrically opposed politically on many issues coming together, writing a bill, and with their influence and seniority, having the ability to, to introduce that within the committee and then to fight for their language going forward as a senior member of their party. So we're, we're very happy with it. We're very pleased to support them. We're going to continue to support them. The, the, the process of the bill will be a process to see it uh, become law at some point before the end of the year, and there will be changes. But when you have two members of Congress that we've worked with for more than 10 years on this issue, time and time again to convince them of the harm and then for themselves to see it, that they then are willing to put their name on in a bipartisan way is a really important step forward. When we deal with the, the method of blackout, um, it really affects everyone um, across the board. In fact, I couldn't watch the uh, final round of the PGA Tour event here in Chicago when I got into town on Sunday afternoon. Sure, the hotel we're in is blacked out. You know, it's DirecTV Hotel, and it's blacked out because of the dispute, uh, for sure. And, you know, that, that is part of the, the reason why they came together to say, okay, we, are, we have heard not only from you, ACA Connects, but we hear from our customers, our, our constituents, rather, and we hear from constituents all across the country that they're sick of blackouts. It's only July, but there have already been 217 blackouts that are affecting literally millions of consumers who can't receive what the broadcasters continue to say to Congress is free over-the-air television that's always on. Well, no, it's not. And when a broadcast station is off, the broadcaster, you know, is, is the consumer is not able to receive what the broadcasters say sometimes is the most important programming, whether it's weather-related, safety-related, et cetera, because broadcasters have, on their own, blacked out the programming. So, so this has been, I, I think, after years and years and years of, of evidence of, of further consumer hard, harm, now seen truly as uh, something that's out of control because of outdated regulations, because of media consolidation that feeds into this, 
And now when you have people like Steve Scalise and Anna Eshoo coming together to say something needs to be fixed, that's very influential. So I am very, very confident about the prospects of this bill moving forward, and we're going to be supporting it. We're visiting with Matt Polka, the president and CEO of ACA Connects. I know that that is a hot-button issue. I know there's a lot more on your plate. What are some of the other things that the ACA is involved in right now? Sure. Two, two in particular, and I'll try to be real brief. Uh, we're working on a, a proposal at the FCC and also in Congress regarding the use of C-band spectrum for 5G. Uh, this is something that actually a year ago wasn't an issue, but then as we saw how C-band spectrum could potentially be used, we became concerned. C-band spectrum for our members is the ability, what they use C-band for is spectrum to receive programming signals via satellite to their head ends, which they then distribute to customers. If, if that spectrum is used for 5G, there potentially could be interference, and that's where we came in to try to limit that interference. But then we learned on some of the other proposals that just were really not helpful. To competition, to a fair um, auction, and really the right thing to do. So what we've done is to work very hard to create a plan, which ACA Connects created, which now has been supported as part of a, co a coalition by Charter and CCA, the Competitive Carriers Association, to say to the federal government, let's have a, a public auction of C-band spectrum up to 300 and about 340 megahertz of the 500 megahertz, which would be made available for 5G, so that helps more 5G broadband, but make it a public auction that gets more spectrum available, use the proceeds of that to provide, uh, and the proceeds would be somewhere of 50 to 60 billion, maybe take 10% of that and use that to build more fiber out deeper into rural markets to get more broadband delivery which then can be used for terrestrial delivery of programming signals. So we get away from C-band carriage. Uh, and frankly, you know, our, our plan has been really well received because it, it solves a lot of issues and checks a lot of boxes. Get use of spectrum for 5G, fiber, broadband build out terrestrially for, for not only terrestrial programming delivery, but getting more fiber out into communities that can use it for greater broadband deployment. Uh, and we've been very encouraged by the response of the FCC and lawmakers, so that's a big issue for us. Uh, and then one other one is just the, the overall fight regarding net neutrality and open internet. That's a big one for us. Right now, we're in a very good spot because the FCC under Chairman Pai in December of 2017 eliminated Chairman uh, Wheeler's 2015 order that imposed Title II regulation on ISPs. He got rid of that, and basically what we saw happening from there is investment, innovation, and deployment increased exponentially. Our members did that because they said to Chairman Pai, if you eliminate this, we will show you that we will deploy, which they did. Uh, prior to that, under Chairman Wheeler's order, there was just too much of a threat in the financial markets that maybe these companies, if we lend money, money to them, won't be able to re repay us you know, and cover their costs. Uh, so. The fight goes on. The House of Representatives this year, now under Democratic control, passed something called the Save the Internet Act, uh, which basically reimposed, would reimpose Chairman Wheeler's order. I think that's a fight for our future because we've seen what our members are doing, how vital they are to their community, 
Uh, and frankly, while we would like to see a compromise bill, and we still hope that that could happen to solve these problems without imposing heavy-handed regulation under Title II, it could be a fight beyond the next presidential election. So we're gearing up for that, certainly to prepare to protect our, our members' broadband future, and not really our members' future, but really their customers and communities. Extremely important work. We appreciate what you and your organization do, and a huge thank you again for the phenomenal uh, independent show here in Chicago. Well, we're privileged to have you here. Thanks for being here, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Indeed, and now you are a member of the Broadband Bunch. Matt Polka, President and CEO of the ACA Connects. Thanks so much. Great to be here, and we'll see you soon. Broadband Bunch continues from the Independent Show in Chicago, Craig Corbin. Broadband Bunch sponsored by ETI Software Solutions. And pleased to be joined now by Tom Whitaker, Senior Vice President of Fiber Initiatives with Chantel. Tom, welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. It has been a, uh, a great show, I think, from day one. A lot of energy uh, across the board, some great speakers, great panels. And I know that um, you know you, Chantel well represented yesterday in one of those panels. Right, our uh, chief operating officer Dave Hambach, who's been with us about a year, um, was one of the thought leaders with um, I think a guy from Buckeye Cable and um, uh, I think Mike Bowker was up there. So um, a lot of the um, medium-sized independent uh, cable codes were up there. Broadband companies talking about what matters to them, what they're the, what was cool and what was hot and uh, some of the things that we're all talking about in the industry. It was a good session. I know that there is much going on in Chantel in many areas. Your particular involvement right now, uh, very focused on fiber and fiber to the home. Talk with us a little bit about that. Right. There are, uh, we, we are the cable operator uh, throughout a, a lot of small towns in Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland. Um, but typically pretty small towns, when I say pretty small, um, 5,000 homes passed and less. Uh, and we have fiber that goes through much larger towns between 15 and 25,000 homes passed where we just serve commercial customers. So in those towns, we've taken a step back and determining whether or not coming into that town and being a third broadband provider and uh, building fiber to the home, GPON, um, in those communities and see if we can get a market share away from the incumbent cable co and in, in most cases the cable co is is comcast so we've gone into a handful of towns in uh, western virginia at this point gotten a video franchise uh, in many of these towns we already have a data franchise because we're providing um, data service to enterprise and commercial customers uh, but if we want to be a fiber to the home provider and we want to provide at least a double play bundle with gigabit broadband over GPON and video, we still need a tr traditional video franchise. Um, now, many of these communities, as you can imagine, the community leaders, uh, they think about video, they think about traditional linear QAM video and a franchise that would go along with that. And they want a retail store. They want a place for people to pay their bill, return their equipment 
And of course, uh, the set-top box now is a fire stick. And um, if the customer disconnects, they can keep it or throw it out. So we're having a hard time getting uh, local municipal officials to, to view broadband and video uh, in a different way. But we've, we've been successful. We've gotten some franchises approved. So I would imagine by the end of this year, we're going to pr be pretty far along in uh, one or two communities and will continue for, for several years throughout the region. You know, that's exciting because there is such a, a movement nationwide on the importance of fiber for the economic survival and success of areas. And I know that uh, that's certainly the case in many of the communities that you serve with Chantel. Um, no longer considered a luxury, but very much a necessity to have that. Sure, broadband's a utility. And uh, in communities like the ones that we're going into, where the incumbent cable co has essentially reached terminal penetration with the customers that feel like they need truly high-speed broadband. And if they're a DOCSIS provider, and most of them are, they're probably offering gigabit speed uh, over, over DOCSIS 3.1, as we do uh, in our DOCSIS markets. Um, but uh, since broadband is a utility and terminal penetration is over 80%, um, there's certainly enough business out there to share with the incumbent cable co and you know you're going to split the business down the middle at worst uh, with with a fiber-based gpon product and and eventually and not too far in the future every single home is going to have two broadband marks on the home and when you move in as a as a new customer um, you're going to have a choice between two broadband providers and there's not going to be a truck roll required uh, the equipment's already there. You make a phone call, they turn the service up. If you have your own router, you plug it in, you're, and you're good to go. But, um, you know, broadband's going to become that type of utility. Uh, it's just going to be two meters instead of one. What are some of the, the major obstacles and challenges that uh, you've had to face as this program is being rolled out? Pole permitting. Pole permitting, um, dealing with the power companies. Um, and it's definitely the power companies that we've got the biggest challenges with because in our world, you're dealing a lot with a lot of uh, member-owned rural cooperatives and um, uh, small power companies. Um, we're paying for the sins of a lot of other companies that have come through the community and done a lot of pole attachments without making any type of modifications and taking those poles over 100% capacity. And when we come through, we're paying to fix that problem and add our own capacity, which is running our cost to, uh, to upgrade those poles and do all that make ready a lot more owners than, than we thought in some communities. Um, and pole attachment fees with cooperatives are typically a lot higher too, but that, that's your first barrier to entry. Um, sitting down with the municipality, and making sure that they have an appreciation for how disruptive the project's going to be and saying how much disruption can you handle in road closures, uh, in crews going through neighborhoods and people picking up the phone and wanting to know what's going on. So establishing a, a single point of contact for any municipality to call and say, I've got people living in this neighborhood where you do construction that are complaining about traffic, about construction trucks speeding through the neighborhood or whatever. Um, establishing that relationship up front, making sure the community and community officials are aware 
of what you're going to do and how disruptive it will be and getting some input from them about the pace that they can handle. Because you don't want to go in there and roll, you know, 20 crews in there and just pancake their capacity. How much disruption can you handle? And we will match the pace of the project to your capacity. You know, when you look at how rapidly technology has changed, that is a, uh, a huge burden for companies such as yours to keep on the leading edge of that. One of the, the bigger um, uh, new players in that, uh, that growth is obviously 5G, and that will be um, a huge decision for many companies to how they uh, approach that. What are some of the early um, thoughts that uh, Chantel has with regard to how they're going to uh, approach 5G? All right, we're a little bipolar on this um, because we're a wireless provider today as, as one of only two remaining Sprint affiliates. And, of course, Sprint and, uh, and T-Mobile um, got their DOJ approval last week. We'll see, you know, if and when that ever happens. Uh, but, you know, a big chunk of T-Mobile's commitment with this DOJ approval is to go into rural America with their lower bandwidth, lower frequency bandwidth um, spectrum holdings and building a 5G network at seven or 800 megahertz. Um, I don't know that it'll ever happen because reality is that T-Mobile is more of an urban provider today. They're really not in rural America. Um, we see 5G as definitely a solution in truly rural America where the, you know, the passings per mile are down in the single digits. I think, you know, LTE, 5G LTE at two and a half gigs uh, or in kind of in the Goldilocks spectrum, including CBRS, is probably a better solution to what everybody living in those communities has today. And I think that's just a, a true statement. And there's an opportunity out there for anybody who wants to get in that space, including including Chantel. But when you start talking about 5G in a, in a bigger town, the economics for the wireless provider are just not there. First of all, you've already got two providers, terrestrial providers in that market, which will always provide better service because they are not dealing with the physics of an environmental wireless service. Uh, so I don't know how much business a 5G provider can capture in that marketplace. And when you start talking about small towns where we provide service, and many of the members that are here at the NCTC show provide service, uh, the cost per covered pop is just, the numbers don't work. If you're going into Houston, you can cover all of suburban or urban Houston, Verizon, for example, for maybe 15 or $20 per covered pop. Same model in a town with 15,000 homes passed, it's probably 75 or $100 per covered pop. And the economics are just not there in a market where people are paying $40 per handset. It, the numbers just don't work. So um, in, in urban America, incredibly dense urban cities, I think 5G is going to have its place. I, I really have a lot of questions about whether it will in the small towns that we serve. We're visiting with Tom Whitaker, Senior Vice President of Fiber Initiatives with Chantel at the Independent Show in Chicago, and uh, Tom, very gracious with your time today. Uh, Chantel has been uh, a, 
a name that has been revered in uh, in your area of the country for for quite some time. Uh, a lot of changes from the days when it was you know, primarily telephony. Uh, it has to be exciting to be a part of the tremendous growth that has gone on with Chantel. It has been. I mean, I've been personally just incredibly fortunate and blessed uh, to be a Chantel employee. I've been here five, 15 years, and 15 years is nothing for a Chantel employee. I mean, uh, many of my peers have been there 25 years or more, and um, yeah, I'm a guy who came up in the telecom industry. My dad's career cable splicer with New Jersey Bell Telephone, spent most of his life in a manhole reading newspapers and then splice a hundred pair, read the newspaper, splice another hundred pair. And uh, it's kind of the family business for me. And, um, and it's been a great industry to be in. I, I started out in wireless building towers back in the late 80s uh, when the AB side was coming up in wireless and um, then got into the PCS business. Um, so it, it's been a great career for me, and, but the last 15 years at Chantel, where the leadership and, and the board of directors, it's a publicly traded company, um, has given us the, the guidance and support we need to evaluate new technologies and new opportunities, and that allowed us to get into cable 10 years ago. And, and when I think of what we, what we paid for the first fixture-upper that we bought 10, 11 years ago this December, and the multiples that are being paid today for cable companies, it's, it's really amazing. So we, we passed 200,000 homes today with our, with our Doxus cable plant. It's a great business. It's generating about $130 million a year, and it just continues to grow. It's, broadband is a wonderful, wonderful industry to be in. Tom, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Indeed. Tom Whitaker, Senior Vice President of Fiber Initiatives with Chantel, right here on the Broadband Bunch.